This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U Mobile. 5G now with you. I'm Wong Xiaoning and this is The Breakfast Grill. Buy low, sell high. That's the mantra that fund managers are supposed to live by. But in reality, how challenging is it to do in a volatile market like today? Added to that is an environment where size matters and fees are the only moving in only one direction, which is down. So why would a private equity firm be willing to pay 1.54 billion ringgit for just a 68% stake in for such a challenging business? Questions we pose to Datuk Teng Chiwai, CEO and founder of AHM Capital. And if that name sounds unfamiliar to you, it used to be called Afin Huang Asset Management. Thanks for joining us this morning, Teng. Now, congratulations on this rebranding exercise after the completion of the buyout uh, by CVC Capital, which then begs the question, why is one of Europe's largest PE funds interested in Malaysia's third largest asset management company? Thank you. Good morning. Uh, I, I think from CVC's perspective, their interest really came from after having a look at the company, the cash that the company generates, and also the management team. End of the day, for CVC perspective, they are buying for growth. And the reality is, is that in, in the asset management industry, there are very few sizable asset management that are up for sale um, in the ASEAN market. And as such, when the HM capital was available for sale, I think CBC took the opportunity to look at it and they like uh, the management, they like the business. Okay, so if I looked at the transaction price, the deal was done on a price-earnings ratio of 18 times based on 2021 profit of $122 million. I had a look at some of the global asset management companies that are listed like T. Rowe Price and Schroders. Okay, they're trading at 15 to 16 times cheaper than you and no disrespect to AHAM, but they are much larger. So can I presume that CVC has set very high KPIs for you? Not really, Sharding. No? I think what, what they look at is really the historical growth that we had. If you imagine eight years ago, HM Capital was only about $20 billion. Mm-hmm. Today, we are running about $76 billion. And if you look at historical growth, we have been growing about one and a half times the growth rate of the industry. I think that itself basically commands a premium, and that's what they're buying. They're really buying for the ability to execute by the management team and the result they've seen in the last eight years or so. So what kind of return on investment are they targeting at? I mean, it, you know, especially in this rising interest rate environment, north of 5 to 6%? Oh, probably more than that. They are PE firm. I think yes. they don't go by 5 to 6%. They go by how many Double digit. They are of, of their capital they have committed to the business. Was there any profit guarantee in this deal? No, there's no profit guarantee. They did their duty. They're happy with the numbers they've seen. Mm. Um, and, and they basically committed uh, to the transaction. Now, at some point to me, AHM will be monetized because let's face it, PE funds, right? They are always looking for an exit. You know, they're all about doubling their money, tripling their money. So what's the future plan? Is a listing the, the ultimate exit plan for CVC? Of course, all transactions, we look at possibility of exit. Um, the options are either a listing mm. or a trade sale. I think that, that remains the two possible options. Uh, we are committed. Uh, should we list? We'll, we'll be listing this business in Malaysia. 
Okay, interesting. But not at this time, not no, so soon, No, we're still right? too early. I think we have uh, different parts of the business to build. Uh, probably over the next three to five years, that's probably the time horizon that we're looking at. Uh, there are three parts of the businesses we hope to be able to execute. One is on our regionalization. Um, it's a very difficult um, um, as, uh, area to, to really execute, but we are hoping to, uh, to be able to execute together with CBC on our side. The other one is really about de developing the wealth business. And we feel that the wealth business really command a much sizable premium compared to a pure asset management business. And the last is, of course, is digitalization and the ability to build a digital wealth within the portfolio that we have. Okay, so let's talk about one of these KPIs, which I think has been widely known, which is uh, the asset under management target of a hundred billion thing. You have stated that in public. Uh, and you're hoping to achieve that in three years versus the current 76 billion that you have now. That's about a 30% jump. How are you going to achieve this level of growth when, if I look at the fund size, it's been relatively stagnant since 2020, right? It was 73 billion in 2020, a jump to 81 billion last year, and then back to 76 billion now. Uh, I, I think the decline that we've seen this year is really a result of market value decline. Mm. You know, you look at equity markets, fixed income market, prices have actually came down. Uh, in terms of flows, we are still experiencing net positive inflow for the year, which is already a very healthy demonstration to the business that we have. Is the flow more from institutional or is it retail? The, it's, it's probably a mix, okay. but largely institutional flow that we had. To get into the 100 billion mark, is to, for us, that's a BAU. Mm. It's not something that we need to do extra. It's something that we have been running internally, a target of about five, 8 to 10 billion a year of uh, additional growth once the environment stabilizes. This is the second time in 22 years that we have a decline in AUM. Uh, the last time we had it was in 2008 during the Asian financial crisis. This time in 2020, 2022, we had a, a period where rates interest rate again rose because of inflation. So where is this growth going to come from? Let's try and drill down a little bit. I mean, is it really going to be from regional expansion? Because the question I have is that you want to move into markets like Indonesia, Thailand, Philippines and Vietnam. But the reality is AHAM is not a household name. Yeah, you've got CVC. But when it comes to fund management, brand recognition, association with a trusted name makes a world of difference. So will you get any traction compared to some of the biggest houses? Let's say in Thailand, Kasikon is a big name there. Shoulders is big in Indonesia or East Spring is big in Vietnam. So what's your plan, Thing? I think we recognise ASM Capital is a homegrown brand. We also recognise when we move on to the regional markets, when we are standing side by side with the likes of Schroeder's Aberdeen, mm. we have our shortfalls, we have our handicaps. However, I think one, one thing that we had really is the experience of building up asset management in, in, each, in, in our own market, competing with the global players within the markets. What is our success factor? It really is our boils down to management and the local team. We like to replicate that success in those markets. We can't go into markets like Indonesia or Philippines pretending, pretending that we know those markets or pretending we can manage those markets. Mm. We need to find a management team in the respective market and let them build the business together with us. We provide the framework. We provide the product support. We provide the know-how on how we build distribution networks. 
let them run the business, give them the ability to run the business. But that might take some, quite some time, right? Because when you look at your own history at what was Afin Huang, right? You started in uh, 2001 and, you know, it's 2022, but the fund size only grew significantly over 20 years. Do you have 20 years to wait thing? This is where CBC comes in, right? Mm. That's, that's, it, they, they are not, we are not going to start from, the, from scratch in those markets. We're going to acquire... Uh, players that are probably not in the top position, but probably in the in in the fifth position, sixth position, and then help them from there to leverage up into oh, the business. Okay, that's the idea behind. We reckon if we were to start up from scratch, it would take us many more years before we reach scale. Uh, with CBC, I don't think that's probably uh, the option that we will choose. We will choose to buy. Now, think I have a broader question here. Do you see fund management going through a structural change? And is that going to be a challenge for you? Because, you know, you're very much an active fund manager. But now we see popularity with passive fund management and distribution changing from agencies and banks to fintechs or robo-advisors. And of course, we've only ever seen shrinking fees. So is, is AHAM ready for this shift? Have you future-proofed your business? I think the, the globally there, there has been a trend towards robo advisor, towards ETF, towards passive investments, but the trend has not been seen so clearly in Malaysia. And I said it in many of the the, the interviews I've given. Mm. Investments at the end of the day is not something that is bought off the shelf. It's something that needs to be explained. It needs to be guided, and 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 it needs to be sold. And as such, there's still a role for advisors to play. And, and, you have, and this is validated through discussion with a lot of distributors out there that I don't think if, if you were to just set up a platform and try to market, um, you're not going to get too much of traction and success. Uh, you need people out there, human beings out there, to be able to explain what they're investing in and guide them through, especially in the last one year when markets are so tough. You need advisors out there to be able to guide investors through this tough period of time. Okay, so let's spend some time on investment philosophy at AHAM. You know, uh, what is it? How, is that a key differentiating factor in a very crowded market for you? Not really. Already, you're only validated by your performance, right? Mm. And that's something that we we strive to try. We strive to improve. We strive to achieve. The other thing that we have also validated over years while operating in, in a tough environment is through the people that we have. Mm. One of the hallmarks of AHM Capital is that the staff, our people, stay with us for a long period of time and there's sustainability in, in, in those relationships. And to me, that's very important. Okay, so let's talk about performance because I did a little digging and used the Lipper Fund table to check on the performance of some of your flagship funds. So let's start with the Equity Asia Pacific X Japan category with the Afin Huang Select Asia X Japan Fund. I mean, AUM, decent, very decent, 840 million, but returns for three years, negative 0.13%, 16 out of 25 funds, third quartile, not the best. So let's pick another one, Equity Malaysia category, Afin Huang Select Opportunity Fund, Size three hundred nineteen million, but once again, third year, three years return three point one six percent, and five years negative one point three percent, and for both time periods, third quarter. So, what explains, to be fair to you, beating the benchmark though? But what explains this rather mediocre performance, though? Thing, I think over the last one year or so, we have been we have been we were caught in in China market. I think we were pretty long in into China market, and that's probably hurt the performance. Mm. 
Um, I think that's the decision that we have taken that we wanted to be uh, a little bit more exposed to China, and and that has not worked out. However, actually, you look beyond that 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 one and or the three years or five years over that much longer period of time, I think that the performance has been credible. Um, so I think we go through ups and downs in managing money, and it's a call that we made and has not worked out well for us. So will you be cracking the whip then, thing, to improve fund performance? <laughs> <laughs> I have been. Uh, Basically, telling the managers that they, they they need to be sharper, they need to improve. But, mm. but I guess it's a tough market. Okay, and uh, this was not due to the fact that people were distracted with the CVC. No, deal. no, they are not. I think I think the transactions were probably uh, towards some of us are involved in the transaction, but the portfolio managers are, were left to themselves to run the portfolios. On the breakfast grill this morning is Dr. Teng Chiwai, CEO and founder of AHAM Capital. After the break, how do they intend to manage the challenges of talent, retention, shrinking fees and a volatile market? BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to The Breakfast Grill. In the hot seat this morning is Datuk Teng Chiwai, CEO and founder of AHAM Capital. Before the break, why did CVC buy a stake in this company and what are their expected returns on investment? Now, Teng, let's stay on performance, but more in terms of markets. I think the word volatile sums it up very well. If we look at the MSCI Asia X Japan year-to-date returns, it's down 25%, while the FBM KLCI is also down 6%. And, you know, really, how do you think markets will do for the rest of the year and even next year? Because this is going to make your job much, much harder, right? And might lead to even more redemptions. Interestingly, in Malaysia, despite the tough market environment, we hardly, I mean, we have seen redemptions, but not in a big way. Even though, let's say from EPF, which is one of your clients, because they saw massive redemptions. Not really. I mean, even from big pension funds and and, uh, the big institution Mm. clients, not really. We don't really see huge redemptions. Even retailers, right? Uh, There were redemptions at the beginning of the year, but I think it has slowed down significantly. I think that shows the maturity of investors, and I think most of them are prepared to ride through a volatile environment. Going forward into next year, what we'd be like, I think one of the things that have actually affected market have been inflation globally. And subsequent to that, uh, we had also periods where interest rates were rising quite Mm. rapidly. By the central banks, who would be doing, who had been doing catching up um, in, th- in terms of their policies. My sense is that the inflation has actually peaked uh, globally, uh, and as you move into next year, inflation rate will be lower. Policies uh, will, will probably be a lot more easier, uh, and, and markets derating arising from higher interest rates will have been done. Okay. What then will impact market next year, at least in the start of next year, will be earnings. Mm. We expect a little bit more. But we are more. seeing compression in the US, right? We should see. We should okay. see earnings uh, expectation to continue to decline. Uh, and then subsequently, uh, there will be impact from consumption arising from unemployment. But bear in mind, markets have been declining ahead of all these uh, events that will take place. Uh, I guess the crucial part is how deep will be the recession as we move into next year, or will it just be a shallow recession and then the economy then recover subsequent to that? So I think all this will then then impact how the market will behave. Uh, my own sense is that um, as we start into next year, there's a fair bit of optimism as China opens up, uh, as China addresses their COVID policy, 
Um, and, 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 and the market, my sense that people were trying to figure out when is the best time to reposition back to the marketplace. So are you still very invested in the market? Are you still a China bull from the sounds of it? We have been hurt by China. I mm. think just like anyone else, um, most of the global houses have been hurt by China. And, 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 and again, it's, it's really a very water, volatile environment. Yes. It's time when you think it's the time to deploy, then you end up looking at it in, in, in three, four weeks, you say, gee, it's down 10, 15% again. <laughs> again. So it's, it's been difficult to try to bottom pick as such. But, but there is a big change in China the last three weeks, uh, three weeks ago. Three things. Number one, I think COVID-19 policy, there's a sense that eventually it'll be, it'll be relaxed. Question of is so when. Geopolitics, after the meeting between President Xi and President Biden, Clearly, I think they will push the ball, uh, the can down the road, mm. and something that they probably address at, at a later date. And in the property sector, there's a huge overhang on the economy. Uh, there seems to be a sense that they are providing, finally providing liquidity uh, to basically backstop further contingent risks from the property sector mm. to the economy. Those are strong messages from China. As such, we feel there may be a window of opportunity of deploying into China. Lastly, for China, most global funds have given up on China. The, I mean, the, if you see the selling in the month of October, it has been vicious. Mm. And I think from a sentiment perspective, given that a lot of people have given up on that market, maybe there, there, may be, there, there could be some opportunities to pick up from that market. What about Malaysia thing? We've got a new government in place. Are you a bull or bear? We are cautiously optimistic, if I would say, uh, with, the new, with, with the new government in place. I think Prime, Prime Minister Anwar is probably well regarded in the global scene. Mm-hmm. I think if you put in place a cabinet uh, that is um, respected by the global community, uh, and, then, and, and then basically state forward the policies uh, to reposition Malaysia, in that global landscape. Because, let's be honest, we aren't exactly the foreign fund manager's favourite, right? Foreign shareholding in Bursa, Malaysia, probably close to its all-time low, hovering around only, what, 21 22%? That's, that's the good news, right? Because they were so low, there was nothing else to sell but to buy. <laughs> okay. If they had been so overweighted on Malaysia and there's disappointment... Then there's on a the massive selling. There's a massive selling. And because the expectation is so low, you only have upside to, to, to capture. Well, we certainly hope so for, for Bursa Malaysia. <laughs> but, you know, does a bad year for markets also mean that fees earned at AHM will come under pressure? Since I think, you know, the trend now, of course, is for institutional funds to have a profit-sharing mechanism where hurdle rates have to be hit. But if you can't achieve this in these market conditions, I mean, was the profit of $122 million in 2021 going to be peak for you then? Um, yeah, we've seen a decline in our profits. Mm. If I look at the um, the profit before tax um, in 2021 and 2022, there, is, there has been a decline. Um, and we have also reduced our cost base correspondingly. Okay. Um, so and that's no, why no have, nice bonuses for your for your fund managers? Not for this year. I think <laughs> they, 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 do, they, they are understanding to, to know that the markets are difficult, performance are not there, they mm. don't expect a big payout. Okay, thing. Are you a believer in alternative asset classes like cryptocurrencies, for example? Is this something that uh, y'all are considering? <laughs> 
I, I, I bought the Ethereum for the first time. <laughs> wow. Recently? Recently? Are you in the money or out of the money? I don't know. I think I'm breaking even. I'm trying to understand how it works, right? I mean, other than if, I, if I'm just reading up, it's difficult to learn. Mm-hmm. So finally, I decided let's put some money to it. And, and that's what I did. Okay. Um, am I a big believer in, in, in digital assets or in cryptocurrencies? I, I guess I'm trying to understand. Uh, how 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 it, how it functions in the okay. marketplace. The uh, reason I'm asking is because would this be part of the product innovation that we see at uh, AHAM in the future? We will introduce many different products in mm. AHAM. Of course, crypto or, di- or bitcoins or, or the digital assets are probably one of those offerings that we are exploring. However, we are not expert in this field. We need to partner. We need to find partners who are who are good in digital assets, and we're going to, and we're looking out for them. Okay. What about in the future where, let's say, hedge funds or crypto funds are something that the Securities Commission allows? Will it be something that AHAM wants to venture in? I mean, because sometimes these fees can be very lucrative versus the bread and butter funds where the fees have been shrinking considerably. For us, it's just not the fees. It's what is suitable for investors. Okay. And again, there's no one size that fits all. Different investors will prefer different type of asset classes. Obviously, when you start talk about digital assets, clearly what you're addressing are the, are the younger crowd. Uh, to the older crowd, they will still prefer the old bread and butter uh, bonds and equities, conventional funds. So, mm-hmm. so we're going to have a whole suite of offering to address different segments of the marketplace. And I noticed earlier on you mentioned wealth management being one of the pillars of growth, right? But are you going to have, find it tough to compete with the banks who are very active in this space, who might not like you uh, <laughs> entering their turf and stealing their competition? And, and banks, of course, they have a wider range of uh, financial products. We have been building up wealth management over the last eight years or so. And interestingly, there's a space for everyone to operate. Okay. We are not... Um, taking clients from anyone. We are just building up on the relationships that we had, uh, on the corporate relationship that we had built over the years. The other spectrum of it is really building distribution network through consultants, which we had been successful over the last uh, five years or so. So I think for us, we believe wealth, given the emerging wealth that, that, that Malaysia has actually built up over the years, and there's also a second generation of handling wealth to the second generation. We believe there's a lot more that we can offer and the marketplace is bigger, is big enough for, for, for most of the players in Malaysia. Well, the challenge they say for Chinese is the fourth generation. <laughs> uh, but let's talk about you, Ding. You're 56 years old, and for many, that is retirement age. And I would say you are very much the name and face of AHAM. And full disclosure in a past life, I was a client and I've seen you in action. Uh, you know, you pr- everyone knows you in fund management. So, what guarantees will there be that you're going to stick around and grow this company? I guess um, it's all about our my agreement uh, with the new shareholders. So there will, is a contract to lock you in? There's no contract to lock me in. It's just mm-hmm. a gentleman agreement that I will stay on uh, as long as they are a shareholder. As long as they need me to be around. Because I'm happy you still, to management still has a, has a stake, right? I, mean, I still have a stake in the business. We still kept 5% of our equity in the business. Uh, and I'm happy to stay around to continue to drive the business. They didn't insist on a no-competition contract or clause? There is a no-competition contract, but that's only for, I believe, a year or two. Okay. Right. The reason why I'm asking this is because, you know, Ting, I like to do the numbers, right? And CBC did pay $120 million for management's 5.3% stake in 
A-H-A-M, of, co- of which I think I calculated you netted at least 35 to 37 million. So isn't the re- allure of retirement just too good? <laughs> um, it does. It did cross my mind whether I should retire. Yes. But I, I guess for the transaction to, to be, to, uh, for it to take place, I, I think I've agreed that I, I, will, I will be around to try to drive the business to the next level. Uh, well, I'm still planning? 56. I'm, I'm still passionate about the business. I enjoy running the business. Uh, I guess with a supportive shareholders like, like SCBC, I think that gives me even greater passion to take it on to the next level. On that note, thank you for your time today. On The Breakfast Grill was Datuk Teng Shiwai, CEO and founder of AHM Capital. I'm Wang Shaoning, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.